Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings 2022 Valspar Championship Picks, Research, and First Look. We'll get to the field here in a minute, but I want to remind everyone to smash the like button to the episode in the comment section. Give me your early lean on a potential winner, and we'll see if they're still in the field by the date that this actually tees off. Is it going to happen on Thursday? Maybe. Maybe that happens. This all really depends on what happens at the Players' Championship. Now, obviously, I'm releasing this on a Sunday morning, and some guys don't even are even close to finishing their second round at the Players' Championship. So I don't know who's going to actually end up in the field and who's going to end up withdrawing if Louis Oosthuizen makes a big run at the Players' Championship. It doesn't conclude till Tuesday. You really think he's going to honor his commitment to Innisbrook outside of Tampa? Maybe possibly in play, but I would expect to see a rash of withdrawals coming for this tournament, but I still want to break down the field because I know a lot of people uh, have lit their money on fire by playing the Players' Championship. Myself, not necessarily included as of yet. Still have a few runners in play. The DraftKings lineups are not looking great, though, but... uh, I mean, that's no, re- that's no real difference from any other week now, is it? There is no Listener's League available as of right now because they will not post contests until the conclusion, I would guess, of the Players' Championship. So there may not be a Listener's League this week. So I just want to dive into the course. We need something to talk about, and you can you know have it on in the background while you're watching the Players' Championship. My entire walkthrough is going to be with FantasyNational.com. If you go to FantasyNational.com slash Mayo, and you'll get yourself 20% off. You might as well do the research. Maybe this week it'll actually work. Uh, and you won't have to look at the wind towers or anything like that. But before we dump into the dump into, dive into the Valspar Championship, I do want to make a quick comment about the players. My PMAM lean. Not right whatsoever. And that's the thing when you're dealing with the weather stacks. And I, I've spoken plenty of times about doing the contrarian weather stack and maybe everything will break into your favor because trusting the weather report might not always be the case. If you put me again on Wednesday evening looking at the weather report where it didn't look like there was going to be that much rain on the Friday that basically completely wiped out the entire day, then I probably would have done the exact same thing over. And I even wrote it in the newsletter, which you can subscribe to down in the description. Or if you're watching on Game Plus TV, go to Substack, type in Mayo Media, sub to it for free. Super easy and has, well, info in it. Is it good info? The weather stuff was not. But I even said I'm playing 15 of my 50 lineups with this stack and hoping to take advantage. Now, clearly, there was an advantage. 
it just didn't happen to be the PMAM guys. It was the AMPM guys who ended up with the advantage. So you're going to be wrong when you're trying to maximize and exploit advantages that way. Um, and then you just live and learn. Nelson Adcock actually threw something out on Twitter on Sunday, Saturday, actually, that I thought was you know, pretty apt. If you are tilting your face off, because you've lost so much money at the Players' Championship or you you couldn't afford to do this, you legit shouldn't be playing. you got to be able to laugh some of this stuff off and know that every time that you enter one of these contests, weird stuff can happen. And you might be wrong for reasons that are out of your control. You may have taken your lean too far, pressed your advantage, and it didn't end up working out. Every time that you split eights against a six you're not just going to get a three double for 21 double for 21 and the dealer bust it just doesn't work that way sometimes it doesn't work out into your favor you tried to leverage your position and it turned out to be wrong that's okay but if you found yourself like being ups legit upset about the weather draw or having your guys go out in less than ideal conditions you need to take a step back and say is this really for me because you need to be able to wipe this off just like the rain just wipe it off your brow move on to the next week there was no reason to over invest into the players maybe you wanted to play the millionaire maker sure but your odds of actually winning that were minute to begin with so i don't really know what everyone is so upset about and it's just like the hideki thing hideki withdraws after lock on Thursday, he's looking like he might not be the lowest scoring player at this point either with a nice zero score in your lineups. But we talked about it on the Wednesday live show uh, that there was a Japanese media question about Hideki's neck. And he said that he wants to be fully prepped for the Masters. And, you know, Tambo kind of dug that one out and being like, for the Masters, I mean, they're playing the players this week. He should be really concentrating on this. I didn't have a ton of exposure to Hideki to begin with. That was enough for me to get off of it. It doesn't mean that he was going to withdraw or play poorly, but that was a decision I made. It could have worked out the exact opposite way, and I could have ended up with no Hideki, and Hideki wins the tournament. Like, we don't know these things in advance. You're just playing off guesswork, and sometimes when you're researching stuff on the internet, then maybe it's true, maybe it's not true. And this one turned out to have a little bit more leg to it than a lot of the other stuff that we see. Shout out to the Japanese media for actually like getting real info on everything. But, you know, half the time it works out the other way with this. So, yeah, you're going to have to, again, just not concentrate too much about the outcome of what happened. You have to look back and like, hey, was my process right? Was my PM AM process right this week? No, it wasn't. It was bad process. Uh, I wanted to exploit a weather advantage, and I picked wrong based on the information that I was looking at. Uh, maybe it was good process because obviously there was an advantage. I was just unable to identify the proper advantage. Some people out there were able to see whatever radar towers that they were using. They saw that wind coming in and thought that, you know, there's electricity in this weather, and those guys are not going to get on the course. When we knew that the wind, listen, we knew that the wind was going to hit on Saturday. We saw that all week. We were just trying to pinpoint the guys that would be playing in those waves and try to not play those guys. And for me, uh, in those 15 lineups, it worked out to be the opposite way. It happens. You're going to have to move on if this really did tilt you. Like I said, even if it means you have to stop watching the show because you don't like it so much, you protect your mental health with this and don't lose more than you can afford. And this is just supposed to be entertainment. I know it's not fun when you're not winning, but at the same time, like to have it like ruin your day and you're visibly upset about it, like you need to take a big sip of calm down juice and reassess the situation. Now, let's try to dump some more money into golf at the Valspar Championship. What do you say? Let's talk about this field. 
And uh, initially, the field has been released, so we can you know, take a quick look at it here. Louis is the top player in the field for a strokes gain total perspective over the past 50 rounds. So you got Louis, Morikawa, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, Victor Hovland, defending champion Sam Burns, Mac Hughes, Shane Lowry, Xander Shoffley, Matt Fitzpatrick, Webb Simpson playing for the second consecutive week. Was, was seemingly right at least round one about that one. Webb had the easiest possible conditions and fired a plus three, so Fading him, at least I got one thing right this week. Maybe Norrin will win, or Burns will win. That would just be terrific news for all of us out there who were watching the show all week. Uh, Norrin's back in the field here. Mito's back. So I don't know how many of these guys are actually going to stick around and try to put up with this, because if these guys play late into Monday evening or Tuesday morning and they're in the field of the Valspar, I wouldn't expect them to play. Now, like, most of the guys are going to play, but I don't want to say, hey, you need to play Lonto Griffin, and all of a sudden, Lonto Griffin's in the final group on Sunday because he's a part of the better wave and he's playing some decent golf. He or Norton, like, they just might be WDs, but I want to give you a sense of what this field is looking like because it's really good at this point. Like like I said, Norton's playing. You have Neiman, who made a charge last here. Answer. Bezadenhout is back after missing the players because he was not ranked within the top 50 in the world rankings. Hadwin, Woodland, Bubba, Brooks, Kokrak, Fleetwood. I mean, if Fleetwood holds on to win, uh, he's probably Jason Day is probably going to be a WD from this tournament. That I feel pretty confident about if he ends up making the cut at the Players' Championship. That's a lot of golf for Jason Day in that back in less than ideal conditions. But overall, like this is one of the better Valspar fields I've ever seen. So, and this is one of my favorite tournaments of the year. I love this course. I love Innisbrook. So why don't we take a look at what people have done here in the past and take a look at the tournament history. I mentioned Sam Burns one a year ago. Um, I was not on that. I know a lot of people in the community were on that. Minus 17, a three-stroke victory over Keegan Bradley. There he is. You see Hovland was up there. I was on Neiman. Neiman ended up coming T8. Louis has played this tournament pretty well over the years. Overall, Burns won last year. Casey won back-to-back years at minus 8 and minus 10 in 2019-2018. Probably the most profitable gambling week of my life uh, outside of a Danny Willett Masters win, although this one may have been bigger. Adam Hadwin winning at minus 14 in 2017 at 100-1, and I hit Jim Herman first-round leader that year. So, and uh, that was the first week I met Wiley ever, and he gave me, man, I can't remember, I can't remember the Indian dude's name at the Indian Hero Challenge or whatever that was called, the one that looked like it had windmills on the course, and we ended up hitting that. So three, like, long-shot winners in one week. Probably never going to top that again. Charles, Spieth, Sendin, Streelman, Luke Donald. I would make some more comparisons to what this field is going to look like and the types of winners that you're going to see, but you've seen extremely high-end ball strikers like Paul Casey. Burns was able to do it last year. Historically, we know that Paul Casey's a shh. I don't want to say that. He's a poor putter. Poor with the flat six. Sam Burns is great with the flat six. Hadwin that year, great. Charles was great at the time. Spieth was great at the time. Streelman, not so much. Woodland, not so much back in 2012. Uh, Goosen, but a lot of these guys would pop up like if you take the fantasy national filter over like the past six years and click on hard courses these are the type of names that you're going to see so a lot of up and downs a lot of grinding type players like can you get it up from these green complexes and make your nine foot putts and move on your way or can you strike it so immaculately that it doesn't matter i remember having all the monies on jason kokrak the year that casey ended up winning the second time uh, he came in second place that year tied with louis louis's been on a nice run at this tournament so maybe he does end up playing trying to get that first ever 
ever U.S. win, unless he gets it at the Players' Championship, obviously. You can see Louis 8th, 2nd, 16th, 7th, and you know, his past four starts at this course. Kokrak has been excellent as well, but Kokrak could not get it up and down. Give the guy a Viagra or something on the 72nd hole, and he just knew it looking at it. It's like, okay... He can get it up and down, force the playoff. It just wasn't even close. Uh, But then he ended up winning three times over the next two years. So I'm sure he's satisfied with everything. Uh, We can see the players overall who have played the best in this field in terms of strokes gained. Louis is the tops, even though Casey has won twice. But he's only played it the three times. He has 33 strokes gained total over four starts. Uh, Three starts. So per tournament, Paul Casey has been better with 29 overall strokes gained. First first in a T21 overall. Charles Schwartzel has one cut for made. Sam Burns, a first, a 30th, and a 12th. You can see that Paul Casey came into this event and without having played in any of the previous two years. I don't think he had ever played this tournament at all before. At least it had been a very long time. So you don't necessarily need to have a ton of course history here coming in. I would imagine the same thing. Yeah, Hadwin missed the cut the year before and ended up you know, winning the next year. Cantlay, that was the first big Cantlay sighting too. He had played Pebble Beach. It was his first like real comeback into golf in 2017 this is where it became the running joke of Patrick Cantlay can't hit the ball out of the bunker whatsoever he had his chance to put this foot down and bury Hadwin that year and just couldn't do it uh, but you see a lot of good accuracy players though Hadwin and Herman both very good accuracy players we saw Streelman with the win you're gonna get your guys that hit it offline like Spieth but you know Casey's a pretty accurate driver Burns was a year ago at least I believe he was at least this year this 2007 year now the field much weaker mind you you have just a lot of accuracy mavens to the top Stenson Bryant JT Poston McDowell Streelman Kucher uh, Kyle Stanley Chez Reeve like that that's the who's who of who drives the ball accurately Last year, you saw a bit more power takeover, but you did see some of your fairway finders do, well. we can get back on Troy Merritt. Hopefully, he's shaken off his plus 18 round at Bay Hill a few weeks back. You know, Kokrak plays these shorter courses a little bit better. Justin Thomas was in the field. So I think that we're going to get 2021 looking a little bit more like the field this year, just based off the field strength that we've seen. But you can even see the good putters, the good short game players, they do pop up. So there's many ways to tackle this course. And let's see what the stats actually tell us from this. I mean, Burns gained 9.1 strokes gained putting. Uh, answer gained. Answer lost on approach and around the green, but gained 9.4. It's funny, these two would go to duke it out once again in a playoff later on with Answer getting his first ever win at TPC Southwind later on in the year. I hadn't really considered that course. That was more of a players championship and Sawgrass co- crossover that I was looking at, but well, that's somewhat interesting to think about uh, With when you see both those guys end up popping up. I wonder who else uh, ended up playing well at that tournament. I know Hideki was in that playoff at the same time. We can just roll to position one, uh, St. Jude, because it's the only tournament that he has ever won. So what do we have in terms of you know average rough length, fast greens, 7,200 to 7,400 yards? That's, you know... This plays 7,300 yards, but it is a par 71. Like, adjusted for par, it's one of the longer ones on the PGA Tour. And this is kind of the same thing with Southwind. Southwind falls in that same dynamic, and it's only a par 70. So adjusted, you're going to see it play a bit more difficult. And you see Burns got to minus 16, had a great charge on Sunday. He won this one at minus 17, so maybe that's the angle. Now, hey, there's Paul Casey at the same time as well. Just taking a quick scan of the people that are in the field. It might be a nice time to get back on Dustin. Granted, he ends up playing. Uh, This is a WGC, so it's going to feature all of the top-end players in the world here. So you're going to have to kind of pick and choose with who is actually going to end up showing up. But is Robert McIntyre playing? 
Robert Streb is playing. Now, Bobby Mack not making the field. We might not see Bobby Mack again until the Masters, as crazy as that sounds. Scheffler, we got Webb coming in here. Cam Smith, Zalatoris, Berger. Are we getting those guys? Doesn't seem to be the case with us. Okay. Uh, maybe you can try to parse back through the years at TPC Southwind, and maybe that will reveal something. I'm just kind of – this is the research show. This is the stuff that I look at when I start doing my research to come up with my notes for the week. And, you know, sometimes you go down a path. Maybe it leads you nowhere, but it's sometimes it you know, tells you exactly kind of what's going on or you find a crossover that maybe you hadn't seen in the past. So we're back here at the leaderboard for that. I want to get out of Abraham answer. Go back to the Valspar. Who were the approach leaders? And it wasn't Jim Herman. I'll tell you that much. Justin Thomas, Charlie Hoffman, Keegan Bradley, three immaculate ball strikers along with Paul Casey. And we saw it. The driving was very high up for them. The approach was very high up for them. Only Keegan gained strokes putting. I guess that's why he came in second place. And chipped the lights out. 4.2 strokes gained around the green. Not very typical for one Mr. Keegan Bradley. But you can see that Casey, Hoffman, and Thomas with even an average putting week would have finish much higher up on the leaderboard and that's what you're really looking for at an event like this can your ball striking put you into a good position can you gain two to four strokes putting and all of a sudden you're gonna have a good chance of winning this event uh, but we didn't see the direct correlation between approach but it's up there keegan second place louis victor third and eighth place 11th place like, all these people finish inside the top 25 so if you're good with your approaches shocker that you're going to end up pretty well off the tee uh, some guys did better than others, but it did result into a few up there. Burns did a lot of good work, just overall tee to green. He did gain 2.3 strokes along with 3.7 on the approaches. But anytime that you gain nine strokes putting, like rough go for Abraham Answer. If he just hit his irons like okay, slightly better than field average, he is the winner of the Valspar a year ago based on the putting splits that we saw. Scheffler actually put in a very nice ball striking performance. I could see Scheffler again. I mean, it's not really a hot take anymore to say that this guy is going to play well at this course, but the way that he's able to manage these difficult courses, that minus 2.6 is very atypical for Scotty Scheffler around the green. So, you know, sometimes you, know, you may hit a few bad shots and it shows up. Uh, other times when we're trying to figure out who's going to drive the ball well, who's going to hit their irons well, that tends to be more consistent year to year. In putting, first Fifth, sixth, and first were all the top three in strokes game putting. TPJ was up there. Merritt did all of his damage, really, with gaining almost seven strokes on the green. That's not the craziest thing in the world for Troy Merritt, though. We've seen a lot of really wonky splits with him on the greens over the years. It's not like he's always consistently the best putter going, but he does have some very high spike performances, as you can see. Imagine gaining eight strokes putting at Memorial last year and coming in 50th. That is mind-boggling. But you're going to see very few players on the PGA Tour with this many putting performances over five strokes gained in a given week. Two of them have come at Valspar, so maybe he's just figured out these greens. I wonder over the course of his career how well or how not well he's played this in terms of an iron-type play. So last year the iron showed up, the putter showed up. That's great news. I have it sorted by. There we go. That makes things a little bit easier. I'll get rid of the va Valero Texas Open. Just focus on the Valspar. So every time that he doesn't gain over six and a half strokes putting, he misses the cut. So that's worth noting. Although both those years he did his approaches pretty well too. Never really figured out the driver 
whatsoever at this course. Uh, as you can see, he was actually quite well, uh, driving the ball quite well, and playing quite well through three rounds at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. It's just uh, sometimes when you shoot 18 over in one round and you don't break 90, the stats aren't going to look so good afterwards. He had been driving the ball much more consistently, though, uh, versus the rest of his career. You can see over his last 10 tournaments, even with that minus 1.6 and minus 1.3, it was a lot better for him getting a stroke per event, although the iron play has been pretty mediocre, and then you have to bank on a spike putting week, but that's something that we've seen him do in the past. Tringali ended up doing very well. Let's go back to 2019. This was one of the tournaments that was canceled by the first end of the, I think it was the, the tournament after the first week. Like the players got canceled, then the Valspar got wiped out the next week as well uh, when the pandemic first started. So we hadn't seen this one in a while. So let's see if there was anything different in 2019 as it pertains to how people got there. It was just a very balanced tee to green performance from Paul Casey. Uh, and it wasn't even really close. He outgained Ryan Armour by almost a stroke and a half uh, in terms of overall tee to green, and he just broke even putting. That's all it took for Paul Casey to win a tournament and not lose like eight strokes on the green, and all of a sudden you're kind of doing well. And that's what we've seen at Southwind too. That's really funny because I know with Justin Thomas, the year that he won, he lost strokes putting on the greens. Obviously there's many ways that you can win a tournament, but if the ball striking does show up, you don't need to be putting out of your mind. Uh, you can see Ryan Armour lost a stroke and a half, ended up coming in six. The Glove lost two strokes putting, came T13. Uh, Stenson and Knox both bled over over a stroke and a half to the field. Rom, it's funny, his irons weren't good that week. Did putt pretty well. So the total for strokes gain, we can just go to the top of the leaderboard. Casey, Louie, Kokrak. Louie and Kokrak tying for second. Sungjae and Bubba. That was a nice week for me because I think I had the each ways on Kokrak and Im because they were my two outright bets that week. And uh, they both gained a ton with the irons. And I mean, they had basically the exact same games. Three and a half equally off the tee. 4.2 with approach. Kokrak couldn't chip, but he did make a ton of putts. So that did keep him into it for a very, very long time. Uh, in overall tee to green. Let's see who else pops up there. Louie was up there that week and still gained a bunch putting. Uh, his chipping was immaculate. Between chipping and putting, he gained almost 11 strokes on the field, which is kind of insane to think about. Your approach leaders from the week, Stenson, Knox, Sean Stephanie. What a th what a throwback. Uh, Alex Chakia, Kevin Kisner that week. And that didn't really pan out all that well because those guys could not putt whatsoever ever because uh, you need to match the putting a little bit you can't be losing 7.2 strokes putting like our man Alex Chaka right here but Casey was up there Armour was up there Kevin Tway lit it on fire and still missed the cut because he lost four strokes putting throughout two rounds so you have the winner second place fourth place sixth place ninth place Luke Donald Mackenzie Hughes this might be actually be a really nice Mac Hughes type place he is in the field we can just take a quick little scan at Mackenzie Hughes I mean Canadians have won he's played well in Florida in the past he's very inconsistent Consistent, so that's going to make things a little bit trickier. He has a miscut, a 13th, and a miscut. Uh, I mean, that kind of tracks for Mackenzie Hughes the weeks that he doesn't putt well. It tends not to go very well for him. But you can see the high-end performances that he delivers. Again, he's a lot like Troy Merritt. Like, just look at the number of gigantic putting performances he has over the course of his career. And sometimes these difficult courses, if you're the guy who's making the 35-footers that week, that's going to go a long way. Plus, he tends to play 
windier courses, more difficult courses, pretty well most of the time. That's not doesn't even guarantee him a made cut uh, when you're like the, the level of player uh, that Mackenzie Hughes is. But you can see like his putting overcomes a lot sometimes, and it's not like he's played like poorly so far this year. Played like pretty well at Honda, like pretty even across the board. Wasn't good at the Genesis. Wasn't good at Pebble Beach, the course, but did come T16. The Farmers just was never going to be for him. But you can see that he had closed last year in pretty good form. And if you can catch one of these weeks where the driving and approach is pretty good, you just pray that the chipping and putting come along with it. And all of a sudden, Mac Hughes can be up there at the same time. Finally, let's just kind of take a look and scan to see who's been, who have been the best cut makers at this event over the years. Uh, this is the, actually the spot where Keegan coined the phrase, Going full Keegan. He was the first round leader here, I want to say in 2018, or it was 2016, and he missed the cut because he's Keegan Bradley, and that's what he is going to do from time to time. So Kokrak has been very good here the past three years. Snedeker, don't want to hop back on Snedeker based on what he had been up to. It's funny, Neiman also pops up here too. What was the one... Because Mac Hughes ended up making the FedEx Cup Finals. Was it the BMW two years ago? 2020 BMW, the one that was at that really difficult course that Rom ended up winning at in the playoffs. Storm back, people hit him at 100 to 1. The hell was the name of that? 2020 BMW. I want to say this is the tournament. Yeah, the one at Olympia Fields. Just go take a look at this leaderboard to see if it has any resemblance to guys that I would want. Well, I mean, Rom and Dustin have both played well at this course over time. Neiman, Kokrak was up there at the same time. Lonto, Mackenzie Hughes, Patrick Cantley, who had had as a second at the Valspar from times that we've seen him. Casey was still inside the top 20. Hatton, I think, would actually be pretty good at this course if he ended up playing. So maybe that's another one to look at. It's really difficult to say. I mean, they played this course once, so whatever recent form these guys were going in with. But you tend to think of, even though minus 17 ended up being the winning score a year ago, that this tends to play a bit more difficult than people remember. Other winning scores you know, from the Valspar Championship over the years, you know, minus 17, minus 8, minus 10, minus 14, minus 7, minus 10, minus 7, minus 10. So it, it tends to play a bit more difficult than some of the other courses on the PGA Tour. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day, and that's not a lie because I take one scoop of Athletic Greens into the water, shake it up, and I got my breakfast to go for the day. Gives me the energy I need to be as fired up as possible. Doesn't make me logy like having like eggs and bacon does. And it gives me all the nutrients that I need. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and aptogens. To help you start your day right, this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging. It's lifestyle friendly too. Whatever you eat, keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, Athletic Greens has got you covered. It supports mental clarity and alertness. And some people take a ton of multivitamins, and this way you don't have to because it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb, and that is what Athletic Greens can do for you. And it costs less than $3 a day. If you're investing in your health, it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. You're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. And Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a weird, complicated supplement routine to recover that was costing him $100 per day. It's $3 a day. That's much better 
than that. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews as well. It's recommended by professional athletes and me, Pat Mayo. So that's how you know that it's going to be good. Right now is an easy time to reclaim your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you got to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash mayo. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash mayo to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Did you know that browsing online using incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? That's right. Without the added security, you may as well just give away all your private data to hackers, advertisers, and your ISP and other prying eyes. That's why I use IP Vanish VPN to make it easy to stay truly private and secure on the internet. IP Vanish helps you safely browse the internet by encrypting 100% of your data. This means that your private details, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be completely shielded from falling into the wrong hands. Even your physical location will be hidden. IP Vanish makes you virtually invisible online. It's that simple. You can use IP Vantage on unlimited devices without sacrificing on speed, your computers, tablets, phones, even devices like Fire Stick. When you're streaming media, whether I'm at home or in public, I don't go online anymore without using IP Vantage. IP Vantage is offering an incredible 70% off their yearly plan right now to our listeners with a 30-day money-back guarantee. It's like getting nine months for free. IP Vantage is so easy to use. All you got to do is tap one button and you're instantly protected. You won't even know what's on. Stop sharing with the world everything you stream, everything you search for, and everything that you buy. Take your privacy back today with the brand rated 4.6 out of 5 on Trustpilot. So go to ipvanish.com slash mayo and use promotional code mayo to claim your 70% savings. That's ipvanish.com slash mayo. Time to talk about the course a little bit at this point. So we had mentioned it's a par 71, and it's going to play at, let's see, 7,340 yards. So that's pretty long for a par 71. Uh, it opens with the easiest hole on the course, the par 5, 560 yards, and closes through the snake pits. 15, 16, no, is it 16, 17, and 18? Or actually, the is the snake pit. You can see, although the four closing holes are incredibly difficult. I think, I can't remember if it was here or the Travelers. Streelman just went ham and birdied like seven holes in a row. But you're not going to see a, a, a lot of easier holes. You probably want your guys starting on, let's see here, one if you had to take the leap of faith, just because ten number nine is not necessarily a birdie hole, as they make birdie on that hole around fourteen percent of the time. Hole ten is only twelve percent of the time, but eleven and twelve are both gettable. So maybe if you could pad your stats a little bit on number nine, squeeze out a birdie there, you're just at a better chance for a streak in terms of DraftKings showdown. But no significant advantage, as kind of pointed out by everything that was going on you have putting and approach but you do see uh, off the tee and around the green play a bit more of a factor than at courses that we've seen lately and when you look at the top five finishers it's only about double the importance of approach over tee to green uh, over off the tee and around the green and you know in previous weeks we've seen two and a half times for approach three times for approach but putting is going to play a very influential factor but an overall very good tee to green game where you know, if your guy isn't going to hit a green on regular 
correlation. Can they get it up and down? I mean, I haven't gone back and watched the Valspar tape from last year, but I assume that's what happened to Victor Hovland, that he started missing Green's regulation, and all of a sudden, he wasn't making par anymore because that's not what he does at this tournament. Uh, you can see they're very difficult par fours, 450 to 500 yards, but they don't comprise a ton of the course. You get a lot of ones that are in that like 444, 449. So they drop into this bucket of 400 to 450 yards. I would still rather look at the 450 to 500 because there's a lot of dog legs on this course where guys lie up to certain areas. So they end up with longer irons in. You can see that through the approach shot distribution distribution where it just leans not a ton of short irons into this course uh, with 24% covering from 175 to 200 23% 200 plus so you're almost at the majority of your shots on approach coming from over 175 yards the cut line bears that out we have never seen a cut line under par at this tournament it was even par last year plus two the year before plus four the year before that we've seen three plus four since 2014 so if the wind picks up and conditions get a little bit tougher it's not going to be a good scene for a lot of guys the rough isn't super thick here so you can afford to miss it's a lot like heritage in that sense where if you're on the proper side of the dog like to give yourself a better angle in even if the ball is into the rough or the approach is a little bit longer you're not dealing with tree trouble at all although we do see a lower greens and regulation percentage and a high although the scrambling percentage is higher so that's good at least you can get it up and down a little bit Three putts per round, about the same as what they are everywhere on tour. Driving distance is mitigated here. This is a Gary Woodland-type jam. This is looking back at it like when he won here in 2011, and you look at the courses where he's had success. It's not that he can't have success at long courses. We just saw him do that at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. However, these, where did he win a U.S. Open? At a short par 70-type course where he can hit those low stingers and increase his accuracy and hit his long irons really well. We know that he putts better on Bermuda, than almost anywhere else. I mean, not that he's a great Bermuda putter, but he's not a travesty. Like, he tends to be on bent grass at the same time. So driving distance is weighed down, uh, and we see that it doesn't really increase accuracy much, but it does allow players to take some of the elements and the water out of play, keep the ball from going deep into the forest, and get to the right side of the fairway or rough so you can have a good angle on your approach shots. So that's what we're looking at overall for the course. In the past course conditions, you can see last year, you know, the green speed was fast, the rough length was average, hitting fairways was difficult, but scoring wasn't difficult a year ago. That's why you saw that the you know, the wind was almost nowhere to be found, calm to moderate, and that's what we've seen overall. This hasn't been a huge wind-influenced course, although when it does get moderate, it can play a little bit more difficult, uh, as we've seen that hitting fairways was incredibly difficult in 2019, scoring relative to par overall was very difficult. The greens have consistently played to the fast type on the stamp. The rough length isn't like unfair, but it's not easy. It's not the Sony open at the same time. And generally, you're finding your average to difficult type courses. So that's what we're looking at when we try to break down the course and the types of players that we want to potentially try to target here. That leads us into the modeling for this. I haven't even opened this, but I kind of have a sense after talking this through and doing the research of what I probably want to be looking for. Where's the old Valspar? New for 2021. I kind of redid everything. So strokes gained approach. Oh, I should probably mention that in the historic conditions in the breakdown, the par threes on this course, long, hard, long par threes, 195, 235, 200, 200. 
15. That's where we saw some of the crossover, at least par 3-wise, although all par 3s are different, obviously. Some play into the wind, some don't, some are elevated, some are surrounded by bunkers, some are surrounded by water, but this was a very similar theme to the Arnold Palmer Invitational as well, these long par 3s. Who can play those well? Strokes gained approach, I have at 25%. Par 3s, 200 to 225 yards, 15%. Uh, strokes gained par 5s, 5%. Strokes gained short games, so that's putting and around the green, 10%. Good drives gained, 10%. Opportunities gained, 5%. 400 to 450. I'm going to juice that up a little bit more. I'm going to change that. I'm going to negate that. And I'm going to change that to the 450 to 500 because where you do have to lay up on some of these 400 to 450 yard par fours, it's actually going to play more in line with what you would normally see from a 450 yard to 500 yard par four. Uh, And those tend to be a bit more difficult. So I do want to know who plays those ones a little bit better. We'll wait that at 10% right now. I have the proximities in there. I'm going to take away the proximities. For the moment, keep fairways gained up there, opportunities gained. I think I'm just going to add overall T to green into this as well. So we'll get overall T to green strokes gained, and we're going to throw in. Do I want to go putting? Maybe we'll chuck in bogey avoidance at the same time and see who ends up doing really well on that. Where the hell is bogey avoidance? I assume it's up here somewhere. There we go. Bogey avoidance. Birdie or better's gain. Bogey avoidance. So we'll chuck that into the thing as well. So we have 15% to play with. Within the model right now, we'll go T to green. We'll wait that at 5% because we've kind of accounted for that in some of the other ones. Now we'll put it at 10% bogey avoidance at 5%. And we will be on our way. So we've adjusted it. I should probably rename that. New for 2022 at the same time. And then we can go back test this next year to see how it ended up doing. So we'll get a sense of who has played well here over the past 50 rounds. And it's not going to be super stunning when it's like DJ and Louie and all the players that you would expect. Morikawa, the very best players in the world. But we'll see if it does reveal anything else for us uh, near the top. Best players in the field, according to this, Louie, Justin Thomas, Victor Hovland, Sam Burns, Paul Casey come in the top five over the past 50 rounds. Morikawa, Lowry, Mito, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Shez Reeve. This could end up being a really nice Matthew Fitzpatrick course. For years, everyone always talked about how the heritage would be his spot, but I think there's just too much birdie making. Uh, if the conditions do play a bit trickier, this could be a nice spot for Matthew Fitzpatrick. Who else is going to be up there as well? Tyrrell Hatton. I mean, I'll like Hatton here for sure. Xander, Answer, Vegas, Laird, Webb, Bezadenhout, Kokrak, Knock, and the Todd father himself, Brendan Todd. Anyone who misses the cut is going to get hurt uh, from the Players' Championship when the overall strokes gain data comes out uh, if we start looking shorter term. But I do want to look over the past 24 rounds at the same time. So numbers like Mito, that's no big stunner here. Laird at tougher courses, I can most definitely see that. Laird is number one in the model. Wow. Over the past 24 rounds, sixth tee to green over that time. Laird, Munoz, Percy, Cam Young are the top five in that scenario. Then you have Fitzpatrick, defending champ Sam Burns, former winner Adam Hadwin, Xander Shoffley, Bubba Watson, who's had some decent runs at this tournament over the years, which frankly blows my mind. It feels like it would need to be a tougher event for him to do really well. But let's go take the course history of 
Old Bubba Watson, 13th, 4th in his past two starts. That was last year in 2019. Had not played it. Uh, the only other time he had played it was 2017. And lost a ton of strokes putting. He's putted really well on these surfaces. So maybe Bubba is someone to dial up, uh, as he will probably miss the cut at the players. I don't know how that's going to end up shaking out right now. Other guys that we're looking at now, Vic, Neiman, Putnam, Neesmith, Hatton, so I'm going to star Hatton. I like where that he keeps popping up everywhere, and I do like him at more difficult courses. And I don't really care how he ends up finishing at the players, unless like he withdraws because he ends up doing so well. There's Mac Hughes. He, like, despite the not great consistency, we have seen him pop up inside the top 20 of the short-term modeling. We see Von Taylor in there as well. Lonto, Norin. Coke rack. Although we've seen some, you know, iffy-ish winners, breakthrough type winners on the PGA Tour at this event in the past. Uh, I mean, we're going back to Bezadenhout once again, you know, hits a ton of fairways, avoids a bunch of bogeys, plays these long ones really well. I want to look at who does do the best on these 400 to 450 par five fours. Cam Young, Mito, Norin, Munoz, Hovland. Okay. Bubba, DJ, Taylor Moore, once again, Neesmith, Grio. Reavy, Putnam, Shank, Neiman, Answer, Woodland. Woodland's going to be on the card. And with all the names in this field, we still might catch a 50, 55, 60 to 1 number on him. He's not hitting a ton of fairways, but if he does club down, that could end up being a really good result for him and seeing an increase in his driving accuracy. If he starts hitting those low three wood stingers, the fairway finders, or maybe he just gets where he needs to go to be able to hit those really well. He's better at the long. I mean, this isn't a good sample for the longer par threes, but Todd Norin, Norin, once again, maybe I'll go back to Norin at this course as well. Although the driving, he led everyone in approach through one round at the Players' Championship. It was like last in driving. So hopefully we can figure that out just a little bit. Burns is up there. Landry, first time we've seen Landry in a while. CT Pan, Jason Day, Von Taylor, Denny McCarthy, Werner, Kokrak, Fitz, Hatton, again, Hughes, again. Probably why they're showing up. They're also top six in overall short game over that time. Now, maybe you don't want to look at 24 rounds. Maybe you want to look at, I don't know, past 100 rounds, if that's the way that you want to go about it. Let's look at very specific conditions to the Valspar. Uh, We see very few of par 71. So we'll say par 70 and par 71s that measure between 7,200 and 7,400 yards. That might give us a better sense of how this course is potentially going to play. Sorted by the past 24 rounds, no big shocker that you have Thomas Morikawa, Hovland, Louis, and Casey inside the top five. But Danny Lee starts popping up here inside the top 10. Denny McCarthy, Alex Norin once again. There's Lowry, Munoz, Burns, Webb Simpson, Dustin Johnson, Mac Hughes, 16th in this over the past 24 rounds. If we just look at averages, Maybe that can tell us something a little bit different. Thomas Morikawa, McNeely. I guess everyone has 24 rounds in here. Svensson, you see, once again. Hopefully that dude learned how to putt. Keegan Bradley, who finished second at this tournament a year ago. Tringali, who was inside the top 10. Davis Riley and Cam Young. Maybe as Davis Riley at these tougher courses because he can kind of get it going a little bit with different parts of his game, a lot like Mackenzie Hughes in a way, where he could potentially do well here. Joel Damon, I would really like for this course. We'll see how he ends up playing at Sawgrass, whether he ends up making the cut, missing the cut, who knows at this point. But those are the types of players who end up doing really well. And once again, fantasynational.com slash mayo is the easiest way to parse all of this for yourself. So let's keep those same filters on. Just look at Bermuda. See if that tells us a little bit of a different story. Burns ends up becoming the best player, probably because he has a win here and came second at Southwind. That would actually track out quite well. 
I'm disappointed Daniel Berger's not playing. I feel like he would do really well at this tournament. Burns, Xander, Tringali, Bradley, Thomas. So 7,200 to 7,400 yards, uh, par 70 and 71. Now with the Bermuda filter turned on, those would be your top five. DJ, Answer, Webb, Fitzpatrick, Vegas, Norin again, Bubba again, Louis, Vic, Hadwin's now up there in the top 17. There's Joel Damon and Denny McCarthy. Once again, don't see a ton of Mac Hughes on this one. I wonder where Hughes ends up once we put that filter on. He's 41st now. Not terrible because his odds are going to be super long. He's probably over 100 to 1 to win this tournament as long as these people stay in this tournament. Again, we don't know that that's necessarily going to happen. Kucher has had some nice runs. So Lowry, Hatton, Mac Hughes, Damon, Hadwin, and Noren, Denny McCarthy all seem to be the non-super elites who continue to pop up no matter what stats that we end up looking at as we end up venturing through everything. I know that this is kind of weird to talk about without the Players' Championship being remotely close to being finished as of the time of this recording. But it's never too early to dig in and start messing around and hopefully find some sleepers. And once again, I hope everything turns out great for you at the Players' Championship. Like I said, I'm not devoid of runners right now. It's just that my very high-end plays, the Morikawas. Um, you know, Morikawa, Rory, and Xander is where I ended up pivoting to, both because of weather and because of ownership. I did want to eat the chalk with Morikawa. I mean, that just might blow up in my face. It's going to ruin like half my lineups if those guys don't end up making the cut or doing well but I'm still going to have some guys who are live. All the sleepers, at least through one round, and they're not even going to get on the course until Sunday, could end up doing well. I'm really kind of having my fingers crossed for Damon or Norin really making a run here and at least finishing. Hey, one of those guys finishes inside the top eight. Good enough for me to call it a victorious week because I'll end up in the in the black for the week instead of the red, which would be super nice. Not so much on DraftKings, but uh, as we're looking at it on the betting side of things, and if one of those wins, it's one of the best weeks I've ever had. So that would be fantastic news. Remember to smash the like button, sub to Mayo Media Network, and in the comment section, leave whatever. Help out the algorithm just a little bit. Rate and review the audio pod and use fantasynational.com slash mayo to get your discount on all of that i'll have more information we're probably not going to record the betting show until tuesday at the earliest i do have a live ncaa tournament bracket pick show coming out on sunday night myself custom raza will have that so there'll be plenty of content on both mayo media network and the pat mayo experience feed wouldn't leave you high and dry but hey i know people come for golf they want some research in golf and i hope this helped you out just a little bit all right i'm pat mayo thanks for watching I'll see you next time. Have your experience. Experience.